The second reading is Leviticus 11, 1 to 25. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. There are some that only chew the cud or only have a divided hoof, but you must not eat them. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is ceremonially unclean for you. The hyrax, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. The rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have a divided hoof. It is unclean for you. And the pig, though it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. But all the creatures in the seas or streams that do not have fins and scales, whether among the swarming things or among all the other living creatures in the water, you are to regard as unclean. And since you are to regard them as unclean, you must not eat their meat. You must regard their carcasses as unclean. Anything living in the water that does not have fins and scales is to be regarded as unclean by you. These are the birds you are to regard as unclean and not eat because they are unclean. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl, the osprey, the stork, any kind of heron, the hoopoe and the bat. All flying insects that walk on all fours are to be regarded as unclean by you. There are, however, some flying insects that walk on all fours that you may eat, those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. Of these you may eat any kind of locust, catadid, cri cricket or grasshopper, but all other flying insects that have four legs you are to regard as unclean. You will make yourselves unclean by these. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses must wash their clothes and they will be unclean till evening. Okay, did you get all that? I'll have a little test now. No, thankfully we don't have to do all that. Eating is just such a fundamental, basic, natural, regular part of life, isn't it? And eating is something that we, uh, we, we do because we need to eat to survive, but for us, eating is more of a recreational activity. Uh, we don't just eat to survive. We eat because we like this and like that, and we, we pick what we want, and it's a, yeah, it's a hobby, and sometimes we eat too much. Uh, but eating is just so part of life. And so Leviticus, in Leviticus 11, God is saying that this, this part of your life that is natural and you're all going to do it, remember God. Not just remember him, but submit yourself to him. Be serious and careful about what you eat so that you may please him. And it was all part of the people, the nation of Israel, God's people, giving God the whole of their living, all aspects of their life. And continually remembering him. Remembering that they were chosen by God. Remembering his grace, his unmerited favour upon them in choosing them. In saving them out of Egypt. 
in providing for them uh, as they walked around the desert area, providing water to drink, uh, food to eat, uh, just being their God and being with them. And so this constant reminder of uh, when you eat and other laws that we see in Leviticus, just reinforce that over and over and over again to them. And at the end of these laws, in verse 44, this is where it's going. Leviticus 11:44. I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourself and be holy, because I am holy. They're called to be like God, to imitate God. You're God's people, be like him. You're God's people, listen to what he says. Obey him, please him. Verse 45, I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. God who brought them out and they're to be his people are called to be holy, to be separate from other nations, not live like others, but live especially as God's people in his chosen way. And in this case, about the food they're to eat. Dedicated fully to God. We read that in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It's a theme that goes right over the Bible. In verses 46 and 47 that follows, it sums up all that's happened before and says the regulations concerning animals, birds, and everything that moves in the water and every creature that moves about on the ground You must distinguish between unclean and clean in what you can eat and what you can't. That's what it's all about. These laws were not as serious as some of the others in Leviticus and uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy. Uh, Some of the laws you break, you had to then offer certain sacrifices. You had to be unclean for a number of days um, before you could rejoin the group of people. but these, these ones about food, all you had to do was go and wash yourself and then you were, um, had to wait till evening and that was okay. So if you made the mistake of touching an animal you shouldn't have touching or eating an animal you shouldn't eat, it wasn't a big deal. You had to recognise it, you had to go and wash and you had to then wait till the end of the day before you could resume doing things. But it was one of the things that kept reminding people we are God's people. And we've got to continue to remember that. So it was a very helpful thing to have. Unfortunately, by the time this got to the New Testament, uh, the religious leaders had just blown these food laws and some of the other laws regarding what you do on Sunday and stuff out of all proportion. And they used it to uh, cause lots of trouble and controversy in the New Testament church. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, said the food laws don't apply to us who follow him. So that's good news because if you read the food laws carefully, lobsters out, prawns are out, hams out, bacon's out. There's some things that, how could you live without those sort of things? But that's okay because we follow Jesus, so it's all in. If you go over to Hebrews, Hebrews comments on this. Hebrews is a great parallel passage, Hebrews chapter 9. Because it's commenting on this whole Leviticus sacrificial system, laws. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, the beginning of it, it reminds us the first covenant, that's the old covenant in Leviticus, had regulations for worship in the earthly sanctuary, uh, that place where they came to meet with God that had a, uh, had a uh, 
fence around it, then it had it uh, outside um, places to offer burnt offerings, then it had a tent area. Inside the tent was an area where they could come in and do some burnt offerings. But then there was the most holy of holies at the front of the tent. And there was a special place that Aaron the high priest could only enter there once a year after doing a week of sacrifices. We'll read about that in Leviticus 16 next week. But he could only enter there once a year and only he could go in there. It was a very special place. And he would go in and meet with God. But it meant that the people couldn't meet with God. Aaron had to go and do it and he could only do it once a year after a long process. How different is it now with us tonight? How different is it in Jesus Christ? Verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 9. But only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that committed in ignorance. So blood he had to offer sacrifices for himself and the people. A whole lot of sacrifices before he could go into that holy place, most holy place and meet with God. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing that by, by this that the way into the most holy place was not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. Uh, the, there was no direct access to God. There was no, the way hadn't been shown. The way is going to be Jesus. and That's going to be talked about in verse 11. Verse 9. This is the illustration from the present time indicating that gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They were offering the, the gifts and sacrifices. It was working in that they were forgiven, but they didn't actually forgive because God knew that Jesus was going to die on the cross now, much later. It was in God's plan. And once something's in God's plan, it's as good as happened already. Nothing will change it. It will happen. And so they were offering sacrifices of animals, which were not taking away their sin, but they were seen by God as um, imitating Jesus and they were forgiven because Jesus would give the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. But it talks here about the conscience. These gifts and sacrifices were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. There was a barrier, a real barrier between God and the people. It was an inside thing. It was in internal. It was in their conscience. And if we go back to look at uh, previous chapter 8 and verse 10, it said... Um, God talks, there talks about this new covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. This new covenant we now have in Jesus is one that's not just on laws and all external stuff and you go down doing these external things. It's actually written inside of us. God writes it on our minds and our hearts by his Holy Spirit. He reveals Jesus to us and we see him as the son of God. We see him dying on the cross. We see the great love of God in sending him and we respond to Jesus knowing he's the only way to be forgiven and made right with God. And we want Jesus with all our heart. Our mind sees it but our heart wants Jesus. He's our treasure. We can't get enough of Jesus. And so God's talking about an internal transformation within us. And that transformation is going to clear the conscience of the worshipper. Because tonight, I've sinned today, probably in the last half hour, I don't know. I've probably done something that God wanted me to do, I didn't do. Sin just seems to sneak up on us, doesn't it? You know, you, and sin is, sin is just not fully submitting ourselves to God. It's just so easy to do. 
And it can be very hard then to have a clear conscience because, well, I can't have a clear conscience on what I've done. I can't have a clear conscience knowing I haven't done anything wrong. It just doesn't work that way. And in fact, the older I get as a Christian, the more I see that I don't do. I always thought I'd go the other way. As you got older, you sort of feel, yeah, be you'd be better disciplined and better behaved and grow and you'd have a less awareness of sin because you weren't doing as much. I heard some very wise, learned people talk some years ago who said, no, it's completely opposite. The older you get, the more you're aware of your sin. Discouraging in one way, isn't it? But how great it is because it's God revealing to us where we are and showing us his holiness and how far we fall short of being like him which is what we're supposed to do and so the conscience is important because if our conscience is not clear we'll come before god feeling guilty but this is going to talk to us very soon about how our conscience is cleared we have free access to god and a clear conscience and we come to them, him because of verse 11, because of Jesus Christ, our high priest. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle is not man-made, that is to say, not part of creation. Something heavenly. Uh, Jesus did something to bring us in the presence of God. It's not a tent. It's not in a building like this. It's not in any other great cathedral around the world or great religious place or even any mountaintop. Where we meet with God, it's in heaven. And now we have an ability to come and meet with God because of Jesus Christ. But God is not just located in a faraway place. God's here tonight. Where is he? Inside me, inside you. The Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is in us and God is in us by that and we are the temple of the living God. So that sanctuary, that holy place that was in the desert is now us. And that's all part of the reason we're called to recognize that God is holy and we are to be holy because God lives in us. And we're called to live in a distinctive way as followers of Jesus Christ and our God. It goes on to talk more about that in verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once and for all by his blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus Christ is the way for all of us to come to God. The high priest was doing it every year, and going in and going in. And just, but now Jesus Christ died once on the cross. And he obtained for us an eternal redemption. He was perfect. And now he's obtained a redemption. We're redeemed. We're brought back into a right relationship with God. We're reconciled with God. What he's done is completely effective for us. Talks more in verse 14 about that. How much more then will by the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so we may serve the living God. Because of Jesus Christ's death for us, we can now have a clear conscience. Because we're now responding to Jesus. We've seen who he is, we've seen what he's done, and we respond to him. We want Jesus in our life. We want to please him, we want to honour him, we want to submit to him. And by doing that, 
we're going to be going the right way in our life, serving the living God. Verse 15. For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now he has died as a ransom to set them free from sins committed under the first covenant. The mediator. The mediator of a new covenant, a new relationship between us and God. He's the one in the middle. He's the one who brings us to God. And he's died as a ransom. A ransom to set us free from our sins. I love the uh, illustration I saw many years ago, which talked about, say, the light up there, a big bright spotlight that's right up there, which I can't look at because it blinds me, but it's really great. Um, The Bible says God is light. And this is me here, and God loves me. He's watching over me. He sees everything that's happening in my life, but that's the problem. Because pretend this is a book of everything I've done in my life, and God knows from the moment I've conceived to right now everything that's happened. And in this book are going to be pages and pages of things that I've done that he's happy with. There's going to be even more pages of blank where I should have done things and should have thought things and should have said things I didn't because I was ignoring him. And there's going to be blank pages of things that I've thought, said or done that he's not happy because I've done the wrong thing. And when he looks at my life, it's a mixture. But the trouble is... The times of my life that I've ignored him or rebelled against him become a barrier between God and me. He loves me. He wants me to go into heaven and be in a right relationship with him forever. But there's an effective barrier between us. That's got to be taken away. Jesus, on the other hand, lived the perfect life, submitted fully to the Father. There was nothing in Jesus that he failed to do, ignoring God, or they deliberately said or did or thought that God was not happy with everything he did, pleased the Father. And so when he died on the cross, God laid on Jesus all my sin, your sin, the sins of the whole world. And Jesus took that punishment so that barrier that exists between me and God can be taken away by Jesus. Taken away for you by Jesus. That's where conscience comes in. Isn't that a great thought that every time I sin, I'm forgiven by Jesus? And it's not, it's not just conditional because you might think, hang on, unless I confess it, I'm not forgiven. Well, sorry, that doesn't work that way. Because you don't have to confess every single sin. In fact, there's sins you don't even know about. So you can't. But what it's do is confessing I'm a sinner. I'm someone who rebels. And sometimes you'll actually know a particular sin and you'll need to confess that. But it's the attitude of a person who follows Jesus. They're going to keep coming to Jesus and confessing and asking forgiveness day in and day out. We're not going to stop doing it. We're people who rely on Jesus. Death to save us and resurrection to give us new life. And so we keep coming to God and coming to Jesus through, through coming to God through Jesus and asking forgiveness and celebrating we belong to God. You see, the magnitude that Jesus has done for us as a mediator, we treasure that. 
And we're not affected then by the, the changes and chances of this world around us because this world is, is often unstable, often challenging, often wanting to oppress us and, and weigh us down and get us down and distract us. But when we see the value of Jesus on the cross and when we really treasure that, we keep coming back there. And we draw strength and courage from Jesus to continue to go on in life, to continue to deal with whatever comes. We know we're not alone. We know we're loved by God and loved by Jesus' his son. And also, we have this really weird peace of mind, even though life can be falling apart around us, we can have this peace of mind knowing God is in control. I've given my life to Jesus. He's looking after me. He's all-powerful. And the even more crazy thing is when things are going horribly wrong, we can have joy. The joy of being saved, the joy of belonging to Jesus. And that's how it should be. Wanting more and more of Jesus. Never having enough of him. Hungry for knowledge. Hungry to understand and to live in a way that pleases him. Committed to honouring him in all that we are as people, determined no matter what comes to live our lives for Jesus. And we long to be with other people who love Jesus. We long to celebrate with them. And we want to make known to people who don't know Jesus how great he is and this amazing grace that we're living in. Tonight, we're going to do that in a moment. We're going to have communion soon. And communion is a great reminder. To me personally, when I have communion, it reminds me of God's amazing love in Jesus Christ and Jesus' sacrificial death for me that redeems me, ransoms me, means I'm forgiven and made right with God. And it's also a reminder, it's something we should do personally because we receive it by faith. It's got to be individual. It's no one else's faith, it's our faith. And we join to Christ as we do that. There's something else that happens when we do that too. For me, and I think it should be for everyone. I recognise that as I partake of communion, I remember you know, my need of Jesus and I thank him about it, but also recognise, hey, there's other people having communion. There's other people that are joined to Christ the same way I am. We're joined together as the body of Christ, the family of God, and we're not joined together just for a day or a night. We're joined together for eternity. What an amazing thing. It's something to ponder, isn't it? So tonight we're going to have communion now, but as we have communion, let's ponder these two things. What does it mean for us as a person? It should mean a lot. But what does it mean also for us as a group? Let's have a moment to think about that while we get communion ready.